Good morning. I have the joy of introducing a new family this morning before I get into the lesson, and that's always a good thing. Uh, it's the Nash family. I know they're here, but I'm not sure where they're seated. Where are you guys? Oh, up in the balcony. Am I standing where you are, giving us a, a wave? We've got their picture on the screen as well. Let me tell you a little bit about this family. Eric and Brandy moved to Columbia from Hickman County about three years ago. Uh, he's a real estate appraiser uh, and also uh, helps to coach football at CA. Uh, Brandy is a nurse, a couple of days a week at Murray Regional, a couple of days at Williamson Medical. Uh, Zane is in seventh grade, and Canaan is in third grade. Uh, lovely family, get to know them. Just again, a reminder, there's just one family there, there's a whole bunch of us. Uh, so uh, make effort to look them up, introduce yourself, and then introduce yourself again, and then introduce yourself again so, uh, so they can be made to, to feel welcome. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to, to keep visiting with us. We'd love for this to be uh, your church family. If you've got any questions, just uh, uh, let it be known. We'll let you meet with a couple of our elders, and they'd love to kind of tell you who we are and uh, see where you are in your faith journey and love to welcome you. Uh, we're in a study of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles and turn to the back of the bulletin. Uh, there's an outline there. You can follow along with us. If you're a guest with us, we have spent quite a few months studying the names of God, and we followed that with studying the names of Jesus. And both of those studies, uh, the goal was to help us to see better and to, to understand better, to love better. And that's our goal with the study of the Holy Spirit as well. And whether you've maybe sensed that you've ignored the Spirit or maybe have uh, incomplete information about the Holy Spirit or maybe even wrong information, it's always good to study what Scripture says. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? This morning I want us to consider the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm grateful that we can study this further in our home Bible studies. We've just launched those. The, again, if you're not into that yet, or tonight might be your first meeting, the study guide is in the bulletin, so be sure you grab one of those and take that to your study. If you've not yet joined a study, it's not too late. Look in the bulletin. There's details there how you can jump in. I want to begin by looking again at the key passage of when the church began at Pentecost. We have the, the, the message about the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verse 37 and verse 38. Now when they heard this, Peter's convicting sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we study the Holy Spirit, when we witness, uh, uh, when we study the Holy uh, uh, Baptism or witness a baptism, we talk about this very key truth about having all of our past sins removed. Because that's important. We need to have our sins removed. We should talk about. But talking about the Holy Spirit receiving it and the transforming life He brings is also important. Think with me for a moment. It may be that when we think about our salvation, when we think about our becoming a Christian, we dwell on the forgiveness of sin. Why? Maybe because that's the issue at hand. Maybe because that's the message we need to hear. Because we've got a sin problem. That's the immediate need. We need forgiveness. But is it 
possible? I put this on the top of your study guide. Is it possible that we fail to claim God's promise of power? Let me ask it this way. Do you ever sense that after your sins are forgiven, how do I put this? Maybe like after you're saved that, that we have to handle it from here. Do you ever get that sense? Like now I'm washed clean, I'm saved, now it's up to me to remain faithful. Maybe that's the way we think about that. I think sometimes in our attempts to simplify Scripture, we try to summarize, you know, here are the steps. Here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And we follow that with a step to remain faithful. And we sense that, well, that's all on me to then to remain faithful. So when we fall back into sin, when we give in to temptation, all we have to do is ask for forgiveness, and we'll be faithful. So we spend all of our spiritual walk focusing on, hovering over the concept of forgiveness. But what if there's more? What if God wants more for us than just to be forgiven? Because there is so much more that he wants. And even a study of the Holy Spirit is going to be of no good to us unless we understand this important truth. I put it on the screen. God's purpose in redemption is not just to save us. His purpose, his goal, is to make us holy. If you get nothing else out of the lesson, I want you to get this. God's purpose in redemption is not just to save us. His goal is is to make us holy. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We've got about 30 people who are going through an in-depth study of the Torah, and we're about to wrap up the book of Leviticus. And each week as we're just going through this chapter by chapter, concept by concept, what we see hammered again and again and again in, in the book of Leviticus especially is like Leviticus 19.2. I put it on the screen where God says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So Peter says it was written, he's quoting God. This was God saying that. So forgiveness is not the goal. It's a means to the goal. It's the inaugurating step to the goal. Holiness is the goal. Being more and more like the one whose name we wear. That's what God wants for us. Let me share a quote from John W. Smith. I shared one from last week as well, last message. This is from his book, Catching Fire with the Holy Spirit. He says, I fear that the gospel of grace, as it is often preached today, sometimes encourages spiritual mediocrity because it places the emphasis on forgiveness rather than sanctification. God is not satisfied with confession of sin nor with penitence for sin. They are critically important. But they are not the goal. The goal is spiritual renewal, transformation, and sanctification. The goal is spiritual renewal, transformation, and sanctification. 
As God said, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So let me ask you, when's the last time you prayed, God, you are holy. Make me holy. Or have you ever prayed to God, Lord, I want to be holy. That's what God wants for us. Do we want that? Now, that makes, that makes us feel awkward to think about, probably for good reason. Because in our minds, our casual talk or thinking about what it means to be holy, we get that God is holy. We acknowledge that. We sing that. We love to sing that. We love to read about God being holy. But to talk about me being holy, that makes us uncomfortable. We're, we're not really as, as comfortable with that. But that's what he wants. That's his goal. That's what he expects. Or better, that's what he demands. Be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. I put this on the screen. You know this already. Holy means to be separate, set apart, set apart for God, sanctified. Well, how does that happen? Well, it begins with our conversion. It begins with the forgiveness of sins. We all have a sin problem. We know that. But there is so much more. But if you're still stuck in that first step, if you're still focusing on just trying to, to remain faithful, just to stay forgiven, I'm not sure how to describe it. Maybe it's like this. Think about you just turned 16, and God's given you a driver's license and a brand new car. And you go out to the driveway, and you get in your brand new car, and you crank it, and the engine is humming, and you get your favorite music playing. But you never put it in gear. You never get out of the driveway. The word would be spiritual mediocrity. You are not at all what God had in mind for you. What you're choosing, I'm just so thankful to have a car. I'm so glad I'm 16 and got a driver's license. So what? You never got out of the driveway. God has so much more in store for you, in mind for you. He wants you to be holy, not just saved. His goal is spiritual renewal, transformation, sanctification. Or the word God uses is holy. So how is this accomplished? This is where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. This is why we need to study the Spirit. This is why we need to understand the power of the Spirit. Remember in the last lesson we talked about there's two different distinct ways the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit working in our life. The Bible talks about gifts of the Spirit, and the Bible talks about fruit of the Spirit. Both of those are mentioned multiple times. And it seems to me that whenever we talk or read about the Holy Spirit or people kind of go, ooh, about the Holy Spirit, the focus is on the spectacular, the miraculous, the gifts of the Spirit. Not so much the fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is evidence of a relationship. You understand who He is, that you're walking with Him, that your life is in step with Him. 
And all that is working together to bear the fruit in your life. But the more I study and read about what the Bible says about this, this is the truth. This is the way we live. This is the way we reflect it. I think that's the point that Paul was making in that grave love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Again, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. But just before that, he mentions the spiritual gifts in chapter 12. I want to take a moment and let's look at those. You may want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. That's going to be on the screen as well. But let's consider what's included. What lists here? What does he share? What are these gifts that he mentions in this particular passage? 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And the varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit through the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between the Spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, if you've studied this before, you know that evidently in the church at Corinth, they were misusing the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, the more you read the letter... The church was just in utter chaos in a number of ways. But, but here what he's addressing is the church was using these gifts of the Holy Spirit to, in essence, as one commentary described, create a class system. You had the haves and the have-nots. Those who had the gifts of the Spirit, so they were spiritually superior than the, those who didn't have these gifts that he mentions here. Think about what that does for the church. Because these gifts of the Spirit were intended to be used, as Paul says, for the common good, to serve others. Instead, what they were using was to create, in essence, a spiritual hierarchy. These gifts made one person more spiritual than the one who didn't have that particular gift. And what's ridiculous is, as he mentions here, the whole point of these gifts of the Spirit was to serve the body and to build up the body, to edify the church. So then for the remainder of the chapter, Paul launches into this very descriptive picture, this metaphor as the church being a body. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to chapter 12 today and, and read these verses, but I just want to highlight a few. They're on the screen. Look at verse 14. For one body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Well, let's, let's talk about these spiritual gifts for a moment. I put on the screen the Greek word for spiritual gift. There's two. And I think uh, you might want to write this down. Uh, pneumatikos, broad definition, just means gifts of a spiritual nature. And there's another one, charisma. You've heard that word before. It means grace. Literally translated, it means uh, freely given. That's what grace means. So it's like a, a spiritual gift freely given. That's what that word means. Neither of these terms 
imply supernatural powers. One emphasized the spiritual nature of the gifts, the other that's freely given. Both are used in Romans 1.11 where Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart to some spiritual gift. Those are those two words used together to strengthen you. Now, quick review about miracles in Scripture. In the New Testament specifically, I put this on the screen, comes from three sources. And every one of these, the Holy Spirit is a part of. Of this miracle working. Miracles were performed by Jesus. And what you read over and over again in the Gospels, when he does something, it would mention by the power of the Holy Spirit. Miracles were also performed by the apostles, again, through the Holy Spirit. And also those through the Holy Spirit who received spiritual gifts, like he's talking about here in chapter 12. Now, two purposes for miracles that we see in the New Testament. One was to confirm the person or the message as being from God. And again, you see that again and again. Luke chapter 5, you remember the story there. Jesus uh, is there with uh, all the, uh, in the water, and they have this miraculous catch of fish. Peter, so overwhelmed, realizes it's a miracle. And what does he do? He falls at Jesus' feet. He realizes this man is God. In the flesh. But the second purpose of the miraculous gifts of the Spirit was for edifying the church. And that's what Paul is addressing here. Let me share how one author explained it. This is from Jimmy Jividen, Alive in the Spirit. He said this At the beginning of the church, there were no New Testament scriptures to give direction in faith and conduct. God's will could be discerned only by inspired men. The inspired apostles could not be everywhere, so others were given the gifts of prophecy, knowledge, and wisdom by which the church could reach maturity. It was the abuse of the edifying purpose of these gifts that Paul sought to correct the church at Corinth. Spiritual gifts were present in the early church for the purpose of confirmation and edification. They were grace gifts and came from the Holy Spirit. They were to pass away as their need diminished. They were helpful in supplying guidance in the infancy of the church before the full revelation of the will of God and the New Testament. And we can do a whole lesson just on this particular topic. But what I want you to know and the takeaway is that after Paul lists, again, these amazing gifts at the opening of chapter 12, he ends this chapter by saying, I will show you a more excellent way. Remember that? And what he launches into next is what we call chapter 13, the great love chapter. So he goes from the gifts of the Spirit to the fruit of the Spirit. And primarily here he's talking about love. So look how he opens chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And note the parallel here of the gifts he just listed. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gained nothing. So Paul is saying you can have all these amazing gifts of the Spirit, but if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, meh. It's useless, void, doesn't work. 
So the Holy Spirit shows his power by giving us gifts then for others. Well, what else does the power of the Holy Spirit mean for us today? Just because it's available doesn't mean that we tap into it. Think about when Jesus was trying to help the early followers to understand what's life going to be like in the kingdom. He went up on the, ser- on the mount and gave that sermon, that sermon on the mount. And in that, he gave some very challenging teachings. Very challenging teachings. What this kingdom life is going to be like. Don't just refrain from murder. Don't be angry. Don't just abstain from sexual immorality. We're not to lust We must not refuse to forgive. We must not be materialistically minded. We must not judge. We must not worry or be anxious. And it keeps going. Really? Is that even possible? Is He not commanding of us impossible tasks that we could do all of this? Think about when the Israelites crossed the Jordan, into the promised land. They were faced with an impossible task of defeating the current inhabitants. Remember those spies when they went in, and and yes, their report was lacking in faith, but it wasn't lacking in facts. What they said was factually true. No, it was without faith, granted. What they said was true. It was an impossible task for them to take down these nations by themselves. They're just a bunch of former slaves. They don't have an army. They don't even know how to fight. How could they do it? They could not do it. Think about some of the events you know from the Old Testament. How did David have the power to kill Goliath? How did Samson have the power to kill those thousands of Philistines with a donkey's jawbone? How did Daniel survive the lion's den? How did Esther have the courage to go before the king without being summoned? How did Elijah defeat the 400 prophets of Baal? How are they able to accomplish these these impossible tasks? But folks, it's not just the Old Testament. Even in the New Testament, there's times where we face the impossible. Paul wrote about it. I put it on the screen, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 10. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened Beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. You ever felt that way? Like, this is more than I can bear? And sometimes you'll see little things on Pinterest or Instagram or, 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 or Facebook about how, how God will not put on you more than you can bear. That's a misquote. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That's talking about temptation. He would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. There are times and circumstances where you're going to face something that is impossible. You know it. You've been there. That's what Paul is writing about here. But look what he says here. Keep reading. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him we've set our hope and He will deliver us again. Jesus promised His followers the Holy Spirit and part of that promise was power. Look again, Acts 1 verse 8. We've shared this verse before in this study. But look what He says here. You will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You know, I asked earlier as we started the message, is it possible that we fail to claim God's promise of power? What do you think about that? Maybe you're already saved. And you're content to just stay right there. I'm just going to do my best to remain faithful. You're washed, you're clean, and, and you're okay with staying right there. Or, are you ready to receive the transforming power of the Holy Spirit? Remember, God's purpose in redemption is not just to save you. It's to make you holy. Remember the time Jesus asked the lame man, do you want to get well? Remember that? Do you want to get well? At first read, you think, well, that's a silly question. Of course he wants to get well. It's not a silly question. It's a good question. It's a great question. Do you want to get well? Not everybody who's sick wants to get well. I'm convinced tonight everyone who, not, not everyone wants the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. There are some who are just thankful. They got their driver's license. They got a new car. They're going to sit in the driveway and listen to the music. And they think that's what it's all about. They've never been on the road. They've never taken a trip. They've never gone beyond just their own driveway. For the time we have left, let's consider some passages that speak of this power. And I want to begin with one that I think is quite challenging one of the prayers Paul included in his letter in the church of Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 3. You may want to open your own Bibles. It's going to be on the screen. But it's all about a renewed mind, a right understanding. Or maybe to put it in our words that we get it. Do you know what I mean by that? When somebody gets it, not just that they understand, but they get it. Because not all who are saved, I'm convinced, get it. And they're missing out. Look what, look what he wrote here. Ephesians 3. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, look at this line, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Underline that in your Bibles. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now keep going. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend. Hang on to that word. Comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know. Hang on to that word as well. Comprehend and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is one of those passages that you can kind of read through. It just sounds so religious and smooth and good. But, but what does it mean really? Well, let's talk about this for a moment. To comprehend, that word there means really just understand. Have you ever had someone to tell you, well, you don't understand what it's like to be a parent because you're not one. You don't know what it's like to, to, to be single because you're married. You don't know what, what it's like to whatever. I don't like when people tell me that. I go, Come on, I can understand a little bit, right? And, and that's what we mean, but we're not really in their shoes. 
A person doesn't have to be, give an example, to be a parent to comprehend what it means to be a parent. You can intellectually understand, you can comprehend, but to know is different. And that's what we mean by that when we say, well, you don't know what it's like. Women would say, until you give them birth. Carry that baby for nine months and give him birth. You don't know. Or stayed up all night with that colicky baby for months and months and months. You don't know what it's like to be an apparent. To experience those little arms around your neck, squeezing you tight, that's what it's like to be a parent. To lock eyes with your child across the room, across the field or the court or the stage. That's what it's like to be a parent. Or when they're across the state, across the country, across the pond, going to college, and they call you to check in, and your world just stops. That's what it's like to be a parent. And you know, you know. That's what we're talking about. Can someone who's not a parent understand what it means to be a parent? Yes. But do they know those things that we're talking about? Not yet. Not until they're there. That's what Paul is talking about here. This word know, as he states so well, it surpasses knowledge. It's when you get it. It's when it's in your soul. It's when it's in your DNA. And Paul's prayer is for you to understand, yes, but also to get it. And look how he continues, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. That's the prayer. That's what he's talking about here. So the question to ask yourself, I'll put it on the screen, do I want that kind of transformational power at work in my life? Because if you don't, it's not going to happen. And you'll never experience the life God dreams for you. Let's look at another passage. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. After calling out the church for... Their grievous sins. He makes a list there because of time. We won't get into all that. But in chapter 6, verse 11, he says this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Sanctified. It means holy. It means set apart. It made more and more like Jesus. The Bible talks about us being conformed into the image of His Son. And the longer you walk in the Spirit, the more you look, act, respond like Jesus. Not the longer you are a Christian. Just because it's been years since you became a Christian doesn't necessarily mean you're walking in the Spirit. So much Difference there. Here's another one. Look at Romans 8, verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. 
I encourage you to underline that. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. We're going to go over these in our small groups tonight. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I want to make sure we get this. It's only in our weakness that we can truly experience this power that he's talking about here. And as long as we consider ourselves strong enough and we're not willing to admit our weakness or our vulnerability, then we don't get to experience this kind of power. If you are handling it from here, just trying to do your best to remain faithful, He will let you. You ever heard the phrase, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? You've heard that? For some of us, that's a life mantra. Maybe you had a, a difficult upbringing, and maybe for you, just hard work and diligent effort, you've been able to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Well, I looked into that. That came to mind as I was studying this, so I thought, where did that come from? I've heard that phrase all my life. I, I don't know. So I found the, this origin. The phrase originated shortly before the turn of the 20th century. It's attributed to the late 1800s physics school book, that contained the example question. Here's how it's worded. Why cannot a man lift himself by pulling up on his own bootstraps? So it became a colloquial phrase referring to the socioeconomic advancement shortly thereafter. It was meant to be sarcastic, to suggest that it was impossible. It is impossible, isn't it? Well, you've been misusing that phrase ever since I've heard it, or I've mis mis misunderstood the phrase. But sadly, too many Christians use this same approach to being a Christian. I can take care of it myself. This is between me and God. I can do this myself. I don't need a small group Bible study. I don't need to ha have anybody pray with me. I don't need to confess my sin to anyone. I can do this myself. I might need a little assistance here or there, and if so, I'll, I'll let you know. Paul says the Spirit helps in our weakness. Will you even admit that you have weakness? And that you need His help? Or as Jesus said, do you want to get well? Titus 3, 1-6. This one is so rich. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And then in verse 3, he reminds Titus that both he and Titus had a past. In fact, all Christians have a past. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And then verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Note the wording here. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Look at this passage for a moment. Notice what's included in this list about their past. And what would be just the opposite 
Now, because of the renewal of the Holy Spirit, they're wise. Because of the renewal of the Holy Spirit, they are obedient. They're walking with the Lord. They're free from evil. They're, they're free from malice and envy. They're filled with love for others. And they're loved by others. Does that describe you? I'm running out of time. But i got a couple of more. I'm just going to put them on the screen. Give you a quick summary. Romans 5.5. 5. Talks about God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because... God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 8, verse 5 and 6 talks about living according to the Spirit, setting your mind on the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Look at Romans 8, 9 through 11. It talks about having the Spirit means you have, that you're His, and that you have life. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I hope you'll take some time. That's why I listed them on your study guide to go back and, and study these passages or, or better, join a, a small group Bible study and discuss these in your group tonight. I want to close with two responses I want to ask of you. Two responses. If you've not had your sins forgiven, you still have a sin problem, and you need to deal with that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. You need to obey the gospel, and we encourage you to believe and to be baptized for the forgiveness, forgiveness of sins today, this morning. We're going to sing a song to encourage you. But here's the second response for those who are already saved. I want to challenge you to pray to God. God, you are holy. I want to be holy. Help make me holy. And then submit to his power to transform your life. To remove anything that is not like your perfect Savior. That as you walk in step with the Spirit, you're conformed more and more into the image of his Son. And you, when that happens, you really wouldn't have to tell anybody. Because it's going to be evident. Your family's going to know. Your friends are going to know. The people you work with are going to know. Everybody in your world, they're going to know. Because you're different. You ever been in a situation where you meet somebody you never met before, first time, you don't know anything about them, you know, maybe in a retail setting or some kind of, uh, you don't even know anything about them, but the more you talk, you sense in them that they also believe 
Do you ever have that? That connection? And then you or they ask the question, and then you realize you both are walking in the Spirit. It's the most beautiful thing. So, two responses. Either today, decide it's your day of salvation. Have your sins washed away in baptism. Or you pray, Lord, you are holy. Make me holy. Let's stand and sing this song together. Oh.